Pastor Javen will continue with week four of our summer reading series, where we will see how our life is meant for more than just success. We have been created for significance. So take a moment now and prepare your heart for today's service. But now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him, they said. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong that they did to you for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of God, of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. When Joseph uh, received the message, he broke down and he wept. Then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me, I am God. Oh, excuse me. Am I God that I can punish you? My bad. (laughs) Now, here's the good part. You intended to harm me, but God, he did it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them promise we have in God's word. Thank you, Nadia. So we are in part four this week of the series that we started called Summer Reading. You may know by now it's spearheaded off of a book that was written by a guy named, he's a pastor in Atlanta, Kevin Myers, pastor of church, 12 Stone Church. And in his book, basically, he gives us a path for discipleship, a path for ourselves, and a path to help us disciple others. And he uses the parable to do it. He uses the base path in baseball as a parable to demonstrate this path of discipleship. So we started week one looking at what Myers describes as home plate, where he says that this is that place where you connect with God. It's where you find your purpose. You find your your power in him. It's where you win dependence on God. And then when it comes to baseball, you know, everything hopefully (laughs) begins and ends at home plate. That's where every team wants it to happen because that's how they score runs. Well, everything in our life begins and ends with God and our dependence on him. We said that everything in life depends on our dependence on God. And so then we, we moved to first base and we're kept, where Pastor Myers calls this your personal base. This is where your character is developed. You learn to win within. So we took off from that. We launched from that. And we talked about the fact that before God does anything through us, he does something in us. Before we bring change, God has to change us. Before we do anything significant in life, God needs to do something significant in us. And it starts with our desires because our desires are the root of everything. So we need to let God transform the desires of our heart. So that's what we looked at. Last week, we went to second base. Myers calls second base the people base. That is the place where you have, where community is valued. You learn to win with others. So we took, we spearheaded from there. And we said that when we begin to understand that the one who holds all true glory, the one who is worthy of everything, Jesus Christ, the fact that he gave his life for us should transform our thinking 
to allow us to know that we live this life not to gain glory for ourselves, not to use others for our glory, but to love others and to demonstrate his glory. And we understand the value of the relationships that God has given us. This week, we're going to move to to third third base. Myers calls this the performance base. It's where... It's, it's, it's where spirit-empowered competence begins to take place in your life. And he says it's where you begin to win results. What I want us to understand today is that this is where we live not just a successful life in the eyes of the world. It's where we live a significant life, a life of significance, a life with purpose. I mean... Myers went through this study of Joseph and he demonstrated what happened throughout his life. And Joseph, it all began with a dream and it all began for him with a dream. But what happened and where we see the fulfillment of this dream coming to pass in the passage that Nadia read this morning from Genesis chapter 50, he had a dream of, of, of those bowing down before him. And now here are his brothers bowing down at his feet. But it was a long journey to get from where that vision was birthed to where it actually came. And the way Joseph saw that vision come to pass, I'm sure was way different than the way he thought it was going to happen. But all along the way, the passages of scripture that we've read the last several weeks, when Pastor Caleb read a couple weeks ago and Miss Lori read last week, you saw that wherever Joseph was, God was with him and God was working through him and God was giving him favor to do what he needed to do. But it was a Joseph, it was a journey for Joseph. He had to, to learn a lot through this process. And mainly what he had to learn was that what he needed to focus on was who he was, his being. Because so often we focus on our doing. What are we doing? But as we focus on our being and who we are in Christ, God will open the doors for our doing. And that's what Joseph learned. And that's what Joseph realized. And it didn't come easy. (laughs) It was a lot that he had to do. See, we cannot expect to become competent without growth. We can't do anything significant without sacrifice and work taking place in our life. We long for results. We want to see the end, right? So much in life. But to use the, the harvest term that that we've looked at in a couple of weeks that we looked at plowing and planting and pruning has to take place before you ever see results of the harvest. There's a work that has to be put in. Let's go back to the garden. When God put Adam in the garden to do just that, to work it, to tend it, When God put man on the earth, he put him there and he told him four things to do. Be fruitful, multiply, subdue, and take dominion. Now, I want to put that in terms for us today of what God wants us to do. I'm not adding to the scripture, okay? But what I believe God wants us to do and what I believe God would tell us today is you are not created just to consume. You are created to produce. And you are also not creative to be held captive by this world, but to live victorious in it. See, the moment disobedience entered Adam's life, he was awakened to his flesh. This is what we see happen. And he went and hid, right? I 
I'm, you probably know the scripture. If not, it's in the very beginning of the Bible. It's when it all, took, all started. And scripture tells us, Genesis tells us that God entered the, the garden that day and he asked Adam, where are you? This wasn't just a geographical question as to where he physically was. God's also asking him, Adam, why have you moved from a place of fruitfulness, a place of fellowship and a place of authority? Why have you moved yourself out of that place? And Adam's response was that he moved because he was afraid. But understand, it wasn't until disobedience was awakened in him that he became afraid. See, when we operate in a fallen nature, we become self-conscious. But God has opened up a door for us through Jesus Christ to move from living life in a self-conscious position to living life in a God-conscious position and understand who he's called you to be and the significance that he's called you to. Maybe you remember a couple of weeks ago when we, were, we had the two plants up here and we said we we're either planted and rooted in this flesh or we are planted and rooted in the spirit. Everything we see throughout scripture, we're seeing that played out. And when it's in the flesh, you're living in an atom consciousness. But we have the opportunity to live in Christ and be in his spirit. When we live in an atom consciousness, we will always feel like we are, we'll, we'll always feel insecure and we'll always feel inadequate and we'll feel like everything around us is inadequate. So we'll try to hide and we'll try to cover up. But God wants us to have more than a cover up. He has given us a covering through Jesus Christ, which is so much more powerful. So when we understand, when we begin to understand that we realize I'm not on this earth just to survive and endure the pain of life. I'm created to do more than just exist. I'm also not even on this earth just to be successful, eager for a platform. And when I say platform, I mean influence of any kind. It doesn't have to be large. It could be just a handful of people, one or two people that you have been given a platform to influence in your life. But see, success is a good thing and God wants to give you success, but success was never meant to be what satisfies us. The success that creates a platform has a purpose to push us towards significance. That's why God does the things he does in us and opens the door he opens for us. God has called us to live a life of significance, a life that demonstrates purpose. So I'm setting all this up this morning to hopefully explain and show you that a little bit more. And I want to dive into those two thoughts that you are not created just to consume. You're created to produce. You're not created to be held captive in this world or by the world. You are created to live victorious in us. Let's start with that first one. You're not created just to consume. You're created to produce. Meaning your life is not meant to be lived only getting for yourself and for your benefit and for your glory. Your life is meant to be lived, giving it away for the glory of God. That's why your father created you. And when you live this life simply to gain success in any kind of way that the world defines success, success, then and you're living this life just for yourself, you're going to live an empty life. 
And when you live a life of significance for his purpose, you begin to realize that the things that you do are not in vain. The book of Ecclesiastes is it's Solomon's description of living a life that the world defines as successful. But the emptiness that comes with that life, it's almost, it's a documentary from Solomon issuing kind of a warning and, and, and a, a teaching of the purpose of success and the wrong way he went about it and how he walked away from God and doing it. And I want to show you this morning kind of the bookends of, of, of Ecclesiastes and what he said. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. It'll be on the screen as well. But Ecclesiastes chapter 1 Solomon writes these words. He says, these are the words of the teacher, starting in verse 1. King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. And he says this, everything is meaningless. I mean, what a way to open up something, right? Your translation may say futile. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher. Completely meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come, generations go, earth never changes. The sun rises, the sun sets, then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then turns north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the river and flows out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. Maybe, maybe that describes some of us today. We feel like we're never satisfied. We're not content. See, Solomon, he got everything that the world would say you should want in this life. He had wisdom. He had women. <laughs> he had riches. He had power. Every, everything that the world would say, that defines you as being successful. It left him empty. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard stories. I, I love sports. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard stories of, of athletes who describe the things that they obtained, but they were all empty. It never gave them the fulfillment that they thought they needed in life. I've heard celebrities make the same statement. See, the best way to understand what Solomon, I think, is describing as meaningless or futility, the word that he's using there is the Hebrew word havel. He uses that word 38 times throughout Ecclesiastes. And a great picture that, that I think of this is, is kind of life is like a cloud. When you look up at the clouds and you see the clouds, they look like, they look like this great form of substance, Right? So on a beautiful, clear day, a, a white cloud, a bright white cloud looks like this big cotton ball in the sky, right? But if you've ever flown, you know that when the plane goes into the cloud, you might feel a little bit of turbulence, but it just goes straight through that cloud, right? The cloud doesn't stop the plane from flying. When, when, you, when you're driving and, and in a form of a cloud, there's dense, heavy fog that looks so thick, your car just drives right through it, right? I remember one time telling one of my kids, you know, this is like a cloud that we're driving through right now. This is what clouds are like. Really? 
Because you would think that there's such substance. But it's not. It looks like there's substance there. But it's really full of nothing. And that's what Solomon is saying. These things that look like there's such substance to live your life for, once you obtain it, you realize that without God, it's nothing. It's meaningless. And notice too that he makes, he uses the phrase under the sun. He says that throughout Ecclesiastes often. And what he's saying is that the perspective he has is a human perspective. It's under the sun, under the sun it is man. And that's why we have to see above our own perspective. See, without God, pleasure and power are unfulfilling and unpredictable. That's why everything depends on our dependence on God. We have to be dependent on him. So look at how Solomon ends Ecclesiastes. Flip over to chapter 12. And you'll see the very ending and his summation of what it's all about. Verse 13, that's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for that's everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. It's all in the hands of God. So be dependent on him in everything in your life. That's what matters. Our faith should not be in some type of ironclad guarantee of success in this life, the way the world defines success. Our faith is in the person of Jesus Christ. And through his spirit, he holds the wisdom of God for our life. And he is the promise of our inheritance in the heavenly father. That's who we live for. But again, if we live in an Adam consciousness, we live where everything is inadequate. It's never enough. But when we live in a God consciousness, we see the purpose for why we're living. And we're not living in vain. You're not created to just consume. You're created to produce. So work as if you are working completely for God in everything that you do. And do it with excellence. Do it with the best that you can do. And trust him with the results. Trust him with the outcome. But know also you are not created to live this life held captive by the world. You're meant to be victorious in it. When you're held captive by the world, you are trapped in this mentality where you think, what can I do for the God of the universe? Because I'm nothing but a sinner. How can a sinner like me do anything for God? On your own, you can't. But through Christ, you are an overcomer. You are more than a conqueror and greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And significance comes in our life when you determine in your heart that your creator defines who you are, that the culture around you doesn't define who you are. You are in Christ. You are a new creation 
in him. And he has given you a heart to love others and to bring glory to him. And you do it all by faith and obedience to him. See, when we have this understanding that we are meant to live victorious, we begin to understand that God didn't create you and put you on this earth to invade it for the kingdom of God. God puts you on this earth when you become in Christ to occupy it for him. Because we are not doing what we do for God, striving to win a victory for God. We are doing what we do for God because he's already won the victory. And when you operate out of that mindset, you begin to operate from a different place. Because see, again, an Adam consciousness tells you, it makes you insecure. It makes you inferior. But when you operate from that different mindset, you operate in a God consciousness where you realize you're not. Because significance doesn't come from you being like everyone else who does something successful the way the world defines success. Significance comes when you start being who God created you to be, doing what God uniquely created you to do. Your significance is in that. Matthew shares a parable of Jesus that Jesus told. You can find it in Matthew chapter 25. I encourage you to write that down. Go back and study that this week. We'll actually come back to that passage in a couple of weeks. Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30. And, and, Matt, and, and Jesus tells this parable, and it's about these uh, a master and three individuals. And he goes to these individuals, and he, he gives them each a talent. <clears throat> the scripture calls it, it it's talent. I'll explain that in just a second. To one he gives five, to one he gives two, to another one he gives one. The one with five goes out, and he works. And he multiplies what God has given him. The one who has two, he goes out and he works and he multiplies what God's given him. The one with one operates from an Adam consciousness. He's afraid. So he hides what he's been given. He doesn't do anything with it. He doesn't lose it, but he doesn't do anything with it. And when the master returns after a long period of time, The one with five comes and tells him he multiplied it. The one with two comes and tells it he multiplied it. God and the master looks at both of them and says, well done. You have done well. And he gives them even more. The one with one comes to him, makes excuses for why he didn't do anything with what he had been given. And the master calls him a wicked, lazy servant and sends him away, condemns him. Now, couple of things I want us to understand here in regards to this, in regards to significance. Talent in this scripture, in this passage was money. Many believe that a talent represented a uh, 20 years of wages. So the one that got five got a hundred years of wages. The one that got two got 40 years of wages. The one that got one got 20 years of wages that was given him. Now it's also the word where we get our English word of talent. So that's why to our mind, we go to what we can do, which to me is fitting because often our talent is what we use to get money. (laughs) But each servant, we need to understand this. Each servant was given a different amount 
for the purpose of doing something with it. They had no say in what they were given. They were just given it. They were only responsible to steward and invest in the talent that they had to fulfill with whatever they had received, what God wanted them to do. So we see that the first two, they didn't compare. They didn't look around to see. We don't see that they looked around to see what everyone got. They just went away and began to work. See, if we constantly consume ourselves with someone else's talent and what they have and what they're doing, you'll excuse yourself from growing in your own. Again, significance is not about who you are compared to someone else. Your significance is about knowing who God created you to be and doing what he uniquely called you to do. And you understand that by being completely dependent on him. And then there was a third who did nothing with what he was given. He was driven by this Adam consciousness of insecurity and inferiority. He lived in fear. The fear is the opposite of faith. Fear paralyzes you. Faith moves you to action. Here's the good news. God's perfect love drives out fear, John told us. And the more you grow in the love of God, the more you can produce in your life through faith lived out in him. But unfortunately for this third individual, he found himself condemned by the master. Not for what he had done. Listen, for what he didn't do. We often think wickedness is because of something bad we've done. But we see in this passage of scripture that wickedness can be defined just as much in not doing with what we've been given to do as it is living a lifestyle of some horrible sin. God has invested in us all something to do for him and for his kingdom. Are we investing in what he's given us? There's two things that the two faithful servants had that the one unfaithful servant didn't have. One was they had a trust in their master's goodness. See, the, the, the third one, scripture tells us that he viewed his master as a hard individual. But the first two had an understanding of the goodness of their master. So they worked diligently for their master, waiting on his promises to come to pass in their life. Another thing that they had was they wanted to share in their master's joy. They were excited about him one day returning. And they were eager for his kingdom to expand because they knew that's what would bring him joy. If you don't know the parable, just like every parable that Jesus told, it relates to God and to us. We've all been given something from God to do something with for his kingdom. Paul, when he wrote his letter to the church of Ephesians, 
I'll show it to you. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. It says, each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. What he's saying there is there is a dimension that you have been given to work within from God. If you try to live outside of you, outside of your dimension, beyond that, you'll frustrate yourself. If you live less than that dimension, you diminish what God has called you to do. If you're constantly comparing your measure with someone else's measure, your focus isn't where it needs to be because your focus is on yourself. It's not on God and what he's called you to. Listen, there's nothing wrong with learning from others to grow in your life, but you learn from others not to do what they're doing. You learn from others to do better what you've been called to do. God has given you a measure to work with him, work within. So seek him, desire him. God doesn't give us all the same. He doesn't give us all the same thing. So we also need to understand if you're, if you're one of these that's blessed with the ability to do so much for the kingdom of God, don't look at others who aren't doing as much as you and think something's wrong with them. I think we really need to understand that today. Because it's easy to look from the other side and think, why can't I do as much as them and compare ourselves? But we get trapped over here too. Looking back at these, your measure of grace is different from this person's measure of grace. Be thankful for what God has given you the opportunity to do and just keep working diligently in it. See, God doesn't give us all the same. God doesn't spread it out all in the same wealth evenly. But what he does give us all is the ability to work and the ability to multiply, the ability to be fruitful. But for that to take place, we have to be willing to work in it. So work for God without fear, trusting him and understanding you are not inadequate. You are not inferior. And you do not have to be insecure because when you come into relationship with your heavenly father, you are in Christ and you have been empowered by his Holy Spirit. So work with faith for God. Work with the same joy that Christ had that drove him to the cross. Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews tells us, These words, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Take the measure that God has given you and run with everything you've got in what God has given you. And do it with what kind of joy? We do it by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Completely dependent on him. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith, who works in us the way that we need to be worked in. Because of the joy that awaited him, he endured. And he endured the cross disregarding the shame. And now he's seated in a place of honor beside God's throne. So you see, when, when you pursue things with the heart of Christ, you begin to pursue them with this different kind of joy in your life. You pursue them with a heart of joy that wants to see the kingdom of God advance. 
you understand that God has given you a work to do and you are not meant to just survive. You are not meant to just be successful the way God, uh, the way the world defines successful. You are meant to do something significant with your life for the purpose of God. Become dependent on him and discover what it is, the measure that he's given you and then work diligently in it. Scripture says that after some time had passed, a long time had passed, the master found. I can't imagine. It doesn't tell us. We read that and we think that it, it might have happened quickly for those two that invested and gained. But y'all know that it doesn't work like that. Sometimes there's loss that takes place before gain comes, right? We don't know everything that they endured before they saw the multiplication. But they lived their life knowing I wasn't created just to consume and get for myself. I was created to produce and do for the kingdom of God. I wasn't created to be held captive by this culture and the world around me. I was created to live victorious and to occupy a victory that God has already won. We don't all have the same gift. We don't all have the same measure, but don't ever limit what God can do through you. There was a missionary years ago, late 1800s, by the name of C.T. Studd. Now, that's an awesome name. <laughs> he, was a, he was born to a wealthy English family, and he enjoyed the life of that wealth as a young man. He was a cricket player. <laughs> He was considered one of England's most outstanding cricket players. This is one of the sports I have no clue. I don't understand this sport. You got somebody that's called a bowler, but they're out there. They're not in a lane, in an alley anywhere. And you got somebody with a flat baseball bat hitting a ball being bounced to him. I don't get it. I don't know what this sport is. Someone, maybe you can explain it to me at some point. But he was considered one of the most outstanding cricket players ever to play the game. But through the ministry of D.L. Moody and Hudson Taylor, God changed his life. And he decided to not just live his life for himself, he decided to give his life away for the glory of God. And he gave his life to missions. Where he became a missionary to China and to India and to Africa throughout his life. Much of the inheritance, the wealth that was coming to him, he gave away much of that to build orphanages and to sustain the mission that he was called to. Listen to his life motto. Listen to it and and put it deep in your heart this morning. He said, if Jesus Christ is God and he died for me, then there is no sacrifice that can be too great for me to make for him. He wrote many things throughout his life. One of the most famous poems he ever wrote was one called, Only One Life Will Soon Be Passed. Allow me to share this with you as we close this morning. Two two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, 
my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears, each with its clays I must fulfill, living for self or for his will. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would victory score, when self would have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep in joy or sorrow, your word to keep faithful and true whate'er the life, the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Oh, let my love with fervor burn and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. One life, yes, only one. Now let me say thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say "Twas worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I'm dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life is burned out for thee. remember Jesus looked at his disciples we saw it in John 15 John 15 5 he said I'm the vine you're the branches remain in me and I in you and you will produce so much in your life but apart from me you'll do nothing what do you mean nothing Jesus because I see so many people throughout this life who don't have a relationship with you and they are doing tons of stuff the world defines success. But when you look at the context of Jesus's teaching and all throughout scripture, we understand that what Jesus was saying is you will be doing nothing that brings true fulfillment. Because nothing without him is worth a life of investment. Because every temporal thing in this life wastes away. Only what's done in him and for him is eternal with eternal significance. Only one life and it will soon be passed. And only what we do for Christ will last. So I ask you this question as we get ready to close this morning and worship Him and have communion together. Is what you're living your life for? Is it worth Jesus' death and what he died for? God, that's a gut punch. The desires and pursuits of my life Jesus looking at me and saying that was worth my sacrifice. Do the prayers that you pray 
those in your life, do the size of those prayers match the size of his sacrifice? God help us this morning. Stand with me. spend just a moment in worship and then I'm going to come back and we're going to do communion together. If you didn't get one of these when you walked in this morning, the ushers are ready. Just lift your hand up, hold it up, an usher will find you and they'll bring you one. So just keep your hand up until the usher finds you. But as we worship this morning, in this, in this moment, you know, scripture tells us that we need to spend time reflecting when we go into communion. So this morning, I want you to think about as you worship the sacrifice Jesus made for you with his body and with the blood that was shed. And I want you to spend some time seeking God in this moment of worship and saying, God, I want to be living my life in a way that honors that sacrifice. Father, if I'm not living my life in a way that honors your sacrifice, God, show me, convict me, change me, challenge me. Don't let me compare my life with someone else. Just let me be who you've created me to be, doing what you've called me to do in the measure that you've given me. And seek God and say, God, where do I need to be obedient? If you need prayer in any way today, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to our website, bwccamden.com, go to our contact page. You'll find the link there to uh, request prayer or send us anything that you uh, would like to communicate with us today. Or you can also simply text the word prayer to 803-676-7566. And we will be back in touch with you to find out how we can be in prayer for you. God bless you. We hope that you have a great week.